exclusive video of the 3 a.m. police visit. What's the deal with Whistler? A busy Sunday in a community with climbing COVID cases. Plus, there's a group of people here who just aren't getting it. The new fine for refusing to butt out in Port Coquitlam. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Colleen is off tonight. Less than a week after an illegal party at a downtown Vancouver penthouse came to light, police officers moved in on the unit this weekend and shut down an alleged nightclub and show lounge being operated in the sky. Soon after, three people were handcuffed and taken into custody. Grace Key begins our coverage tonight. When Vancouver police raided a downtown penthouse at 3 a.m. Sunday morning, they say a party was in full swing with DJs, a stripper pole, and a topless woman inside. Police issued more than $17,000 in fines. 42-year-old owner Mohamed Mavasagi was arrested, charged with two counts of failing to comply with a public health order. Officers attended. They found 78 people inside the three-level apartment. Uh, my understanding is none of them were, were wearing masks. Uh, this appeared to be operating as a nightclub and uh, a bit of a show lounge. There were menus, there were tables, there were point-of-sale terminals in their cash tills throughout. Vancouver police launched an investigation a week ago after a witness reported more than 100 people inside the penthouse at 777 Richard Street. Police fined the doorman $2,500 under the provincial health order. The owner refused to open the door, posting this interaction with police on social media. I'm right what are you here. banging for? Stop banging on the door, that's a noise complaint. Police had a warrant Sunday morning after they say another party was held on Friday. In January, there were four complaints. This New Year's Eve invitation advertises a full-service bar and exotic dancers. There may well be uh, other penalties that uh, these individuals uh, may face, uh, particularly if we're hearing the reports uh, of it uh, being run as uh, almost like a nightclub in a way. And... Uh, they could be running afoul of liquor laws. They could be running afoul of all kinds of licensing laws. So the fines levied by the, uh, the police may just be the start of the, uh, the problems that they're going to be facing. Mavasagi's attorney released a statement. As we are still very early in the investigative stage, he will wait to receive full disclosure from the Crown Office before commenting on the specific allegations, adding that these are unproven allegations. I've never been arrested. I don't know why. I, I can't breathe. Each party goer was issued a $230 ticket for attending a non-compliant event. Grace Key, Global News. Understandably, the allegations of an illegal nightclub being operated in the midst of a pandemic are not going over well. So what was going through the minds of those who attended? Kristen Robinson has that part of the story. 78 people accused of partying in the penthouse like there's no pandemic. The suite, say police, appeared to be set up as a nightclub and show lounge. It really is a slap in the face to a lot of us who are following the public health measures. The latest event, the sixth in the same unit since January 1st, according to the VPD, who busted the bash and arrested the alleged party host. The only thing I can think of is, is the owner is just trying to make some money off of the fact that all other nightclubs, bars are, um, 
are closed. And I, I imagine some of those people were probably uh, repeat customers or attendees. So what were they thinking? SFU Health Sciences Professor Scott Lear says it's unlikely the partygoers, several of whom were escorted out by police, were unaware of COVID restrictions. There could be numerous things that go through their head to justify it. You know, I'm young, I'm not going to get sick or end up in hospital or die. I'm living by myself, I don't see my elderly family. It's not only against the, the law, it's, um, it's, I would say, like a moral offense too, given, again, what all the sacrifices people have made. But he says public shaming is not the answer. That can go over the top and uh, end up being more punitive than maybe this occurrence uh, deserves. Lear hopes stiff penalties, like the $17,000 in fines handed out here, and continued enforcement will be enough of a deterrent. We all want this to end, and if all of us can adhere to the public health measures, it'll end faster. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Yukoners are relieved to learn that a wealthy Vancouver couple who allegedly flew up to jump the queue for the vaccine has tested negative for COVID-19. White River First Nation member Janet Vandermeer confirms she received negative test results from the lawyer for former Great Canadian Gaming CEO Rod Baker and his actor wife Ekaterina yesterday. The pair is accused of chartering a plane to the territory on January 19th, ignoring quarantine rules and then posing as essential workers to get the shot at a clinic in the small community of Beaver Creek. The Bakers were caught at the airport and ticketed under the Yukon's Civil Emergency Measures Act. Starting today, the federal government's new rules on international travel are in place, including requiring returning travelers to have a COVID test post-arrival at their own cost and a mandatory stay in a government-approved hotel for three nights. Plus, flights to sun destinations have been suspended. Experts say the move is meant to stop the spread of COVID-19 and its variants. But as Catherine Ward explains, these measures have sent some people into a panic. We all agree that now is just not the time to be flying. Cancelled flights near empty airports and no major airlines traveling to the Caribbean or Mexico at least until the end of April. Those measures combined with a new mandatory quarantine hotel stay upon returning to Canada and Amy Dixon says she is panicked. It it was devastating. I thought, well, this is the nail in the coffin. Dixon travels to Los Angeles every two months so her daughters, Maya and Joni, can get specialized medical treatments for their severe food allergies. For them, there is not an option to do this in Canada. They have already made five trips throughout the pandemic. There's so many things our children miss out on and it's heartbreaking as a parent. Um, so we didn't feel like this was an option for us. We, we absolutely have to continue with our treatment. Dixon says the idea of having to stay at an unknown hotel upon returning with little guidance on if there would be safe food for her children is a nightmare. And then there's the added cost on an already expensive trip. We simply can't afford it and that would be the end of the treatment. I would be forced to make a decision to end this life-saving treatment for my children if we're going to be, if we're not privy to an exception. Advocates are calling on the federal government for more clarity, further questioning if the requirements infringe on individual rights. People don't have $2,000 to spend to re-enter their country and they have a right to do that. This requirement is essentially keeping people out of their own country um, because it's 
prohibitively expensive. Medical experts say the added restrictions will decrease case counts, but there are some gaps. Certainly, I think uh, just thinking about individual countries as a way of restricting travel is probably not um, the most logical way of approaching this. Others adding that increased testing for variants will be the best way to understand the true spread of the virus and get the pandemic under control. We need to go back and we need to be able to identify every potential variant that's in Canada and is part of the positive cases that we're identifying every day. As for Dixon and her family, they will wait to see if they will get a medical exemption hoping to have an answer before they travel back to Los Angeles next weekend. It's very frightening to not know what's going to happen upon our return. It's very frightening to not know the rules. Catherine Ward, Global News. Whistler Blackcomb got a huge dump of snow this weekend, so not surprisingly, there were huge lineups of skiers waiting to head up the mountains today. Images like this spark a lot of reaction on social media. If you look closely, you'll notice the orange pylons put out to try and keep people two meters apart. Some say, what's the big deal? These people are outside. Others, including some Whistler residents, are concerned about the heavy day skier traffic as the community deals with a spike in COVID cases. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now. Keith, this topic actually came up at the COVID briefing on Friday. Mm -hmm. So what is the advice if you live in Metro Vancouver is it okay to be going to Whistler for the day? Yeah, Whistler's come up a couple times, Jordan, since this uh, ski season began. When she first introduced or uh, put her order in place that restrict gatherings and events, she did say at the time, Dr. Bonnie Henry did say, now is not the time to go to Whistler. Since then, though, she said it's a balancing act. Uh, ski hills are not the problem here. It's what goes on after skiing or before skiing, particularly when it comes to restaurants and bars in Whistler. She said on Friday that six uh, uh, establishments there have been closed or have faced uh, orders or fines. So that's seems to be the problem in Whistler. It's not the people on the mountain. It's what they do afterwards. And again, Dr. Henry addressed that issue on Friday and again pointed out there's going to be added enforcement measures taking place in Whistler. It is trying to find that balance. The risk is not on the ski hill. We are working with the industry, with all of the industries involved, to, to come up with a community way of supporting this. I will also say that, you know, we have orders in place from the summer when we saw similar things happening around vacation properties in the interior. And uh, those orders say that you cannot have gatherings in rental properties. Um, and we need to step up our enforcement on some of that. So it'll be interesting to see what that enforcement looks like, Jordan. Will there actually be sort of uh, tours or checks or inspections of people renting those condos in Whistler? I think the restaurants in Whistler better be careful now because there's going to be added scrutiny to make sure they're following the rules there. Because, again, we've got more than 200 cases there in the first three weeks of January. Vancouver Coastal's numbers continue to spike upwards when it had been leveling out for a long period of time, and that's going up because of Whistler. We'll hear from Dr. Bonnie Henry again tomorrow for the first briefing in a few days. It'll be interesting to see three days of cases, probably somewhere in the neighbor of 1,400, because we've been stuck at that 500 level, 475 level for some time now, Jordan. I don't expect the numbers to turn much different tomorrow. All right, we'll see you tomorrow for the briefing. Thanks, Keith. All right. WorkSafe BC has issued more than 1,500 orders to employers for health and safety violations. 
WorkSafe has conducted more than 21,500 worksite inspections to make sure employers have COVID-19 safety plans in place. Some industries doing better than others. The construction industry received 373 orders. Manufacturing, including meat processing plants, breweries, sawmills and pharmaceuticals, received 263 orders. The trade industry, which includes supermarkets and retail and wholesale operations, was issued 325 orders. And the service sector, such as hotels, restaurants, gyms, hospitals and schools, have the most orders issued with 470. In the interior, one death is now connected to an outbreak at Royal Inland Hospital in Kamloops. Interior Health says 79 people have now tested positive, 28 patients and 51 staff. 72 of those cases are considered active. All infected staff members are said to be isolating at home. Officials say it is safe to attend the hospital for emergencies or appointments. A man was stabbed to death in Vancouver early this morning, becoming the city's first homicide of the year. Vancouver police say they were called to the Gastown Hotel around 5.30. Inside, they found two people suffering from stab wounds. A 40-year-old man was pronounced dead. A 28-year-old from Vancouver was taken to hospital in serious condition. A 48-year-old man was arrested nearby. He remains in custody. No word on a possible motive for the attacks. Gunfire erupted in a Langley neighborhood around supper time last night in what police say was a targeted shooting. Witnesses spotted a Dodge Durango pulled into a cul-de-sac in the 7,000 block of 196A Avenue around 7.30 last night. A white SUV was parked in the area and its occupants began shooting at the Durango before the SUV left the scene. Police say two young men in their 20s were inside the Durango at the time and are believed to be the targets. They were not injured. They are known to police and are not cooperating with the investigation. The white SUV was found empty and on fire about 10 minutes later in the 7300 block of 182nd Street. Langley RCMP are appealing for any tips in this investigation. There are more questions than answers tonight in the case of a Surrey Mountie arrested after being found in a vehicle with known gang associates. The member, who has not been named, has been released from custody and could face criminal charges. Sources tell Global News the constable was under suspicion for some time and the investigation involved an anti-corruption unit. The member has been with the force less than two years and is considered probationary. And I'm sure the people that are looking at this particular case on this particular officer will look back into the recruiting process, will look back into his background. The troubling aspect of this is the public trust issue. I've heard from a lot of the young officers that are currently in policing, and they're telling me that they're saddened by this. Uh, they feel they'll be tarnished by the same brush, and the community will look at them differently. The member is also suspended and facing an internal code of conduct review. His arrest comes amid a spike in gang warfare in Metro Vancouver. Six people have been killed in gang-related shootings in recent weeks. Talks continue at this hour to avert potential job action by Canada Line transit workers. The B.C. Government and Service Employees Union issued 72-hour strike notice on Friday, largely over wage parity and sick leave issues with ProTrans B.C., the Canada Line operator. The union says talks with a mediator began again this morning, and so far there has been no resolution. Unless significant progress is made, job action could take effect tomorrow at 4 p.m. The union hinting any possible job action, though, would be escalating 
meaning it could start with an overtime ban and a work-to-rule campaign. We are monitoring the talks, and we will bring you any updates tonight at 11. Welcome back. The environmental group Sierra Club BC has released a study it commissioned looking into the relationship between climate impacts across the province and forest management practices. As Paul Johnson explains, the report concludes a link between current logging practices and the risk of climate change. Have a look at an ancient forest. This is a stand of yellow cedars in a place called Ferry Creek on Vancouver Island. Some of the trees here are likely more than 1,500 years old. BC has a dwindling number of forests like this, which is why activists are currently blocking the roads here to try and stop an imminent clear cut of these trees. So we're actually running out of time in which we can do the right thing here. Now, a new report commissioned by the Sierra Club argues that preserving forests like these goes beyond the value of any one stand of trees and is actually a critical part of managing climate change. Peter Wood is the forestry expert who wrote it. This report highlights the importance of keeping forests intact and restoring forests in order to be able to withstand the impacts of climate change. Intact forests, they say, can lessen the consequences of climate change, things like floods and fires. But they also say our forests can help put the brakes on the causes of climate change. Look at this massive ancient cedar here in Stanley Park. Conservationists say if we're really serious about fighting climate change here in BC, the single best thing that we can do is to preserve the dwindling numbers of trees like this that help maintain the ecosystems and suck lots of carbon out of the atmosphere. Shortly before last fall's election, the NDP government updated the province's old growth strategy, announcing that more than 300,000 hectares of old growth would be protected and logging would be postponed in nine areas. But conservationists say too many old forests are still being clear-cut. But we are still losing some of the best intact old growth forests every day. The report calls for the province to integrate protection of old growth forests into its overall climate change strategy and recognize that keeping big old trees like these could be one of the most effective choices available. Paul Johnson, Global News. A serious collision north of Vernon last night knocked out power to more than 2,000 properties and closed a highway for hours. The destructive crash happened near the intersection of Highway 97 and Westside Road late Saturday evening. It brought down power lines, taking out electrical service to the area just after 10 p.m. Utility crews were able to restore power to everyone impacted by early this afternoon. Meanwhile, the highway remained closed in both directions throughout the day reopening to single-lane alternating traffic late this afternoon. The city of Port Coquitlam is about to adopt anti-smoking bylaws the mayor says will be the toughest in B.C. The new rules are driven by public complaints about people gathering and puffing near City Hall and Veterans Park. Smoking would be banned within seven and a half meters of public buildings, parks, crosswalks, street corners, or anywhere crowds gather. The fine for lighting up in prohibited areas would climb from 70 to $250, but compliance, not profit, is the city's goal. It's a shame that it has to go into bylaw, but the reality is there's a group of people here who just aren't getting it. I've heard from way too many of our residents that they don't feel comfortable coming to downtown Port Coquitlam, 
uh, that there are areas that are essentially no-go zones for too many of our residents uh, because basically they've been occupied by a group of people who uh, are very persistent smokers. The mayor says he hopes to see that bylaw pass next month. The city has hired two new bylaw officers to help crack down on smoking scoff laws. Canadians are trying to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. However, experts are warning about another hidden epidemic. SickKids um, Hospital in Toronto just came out with a report that the incidences of eating disorders have increased over COVID and especially for younger and younger children. Psychologist Angela Grace calls eating disorders one of the deadliest mental illnesses people can have. She says too often it's called a young girl's disease, but she says it affects everyone no matter what age or sex. She adds there are some signs parents should watch out for. If they're constantly talking about what they're eating, constantly talking about what diet they're on, if they seem to be spending an excessive amount of time at the gym, um, if you notice them isolating a lot more, not wanting to go, I mean, we can't really go out for dinner right now anyway, um, but if, if people are avoiding going out, avoiding socializing. The days of web giants like Facebook resisting regulation seem to be over. We welcome regulation. Uh, we're calling for more of it. We are the CEO of Facebook Canada, Kevin Chan, told a parliamentary committee on Friday they welcome government regulation for content on their platform. It follows American CEO Mark Zuckerberg, who said if there aren't standards, then people could lose faith in institutions of technology. However, observers caution it's part of a plan to agree to some limits while pushing back on things like paying news organizations for their content. They accept a certain type of regulation that doesn't undermine their business model, and in fact might even help them, um, both in relation to other competitors, um, but also helps them make these tough decisions around what kind of speech should stay on or stay off. In the U.S., it will be a busy week for Joe Biden. The new president is facing a partisan battle over his $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. Democrats say they will get it passed with or without Republican support. Caught in the middle, millions of unemployed Americans and millions more waiting to be vaccinated. Jennifer Johnson reports. A storm is brewing at the White House after 10 Republican senators asked for a meeting with President Joe Biden to consider their counter-proposal $600 billion COVID-19 relief plan. The president's package, more than three times that amount, has little to no GOP support. If you want unity, if you want bipartisanship, you ought to start with a group that's shown it's willing to work together for a common solution. Bringing America together uniting our people. Republicans using the president's own inauguration words against him. The president's team says it will work with the GOP, but it needs to be fast after more than 1.7 million Americans filed for unemployment the past two weeks. This is an unprecedented crisis, but really the cost of inaction, the cost of failing to do this or delaying for another month really outweighs the cost of taking this action. President Biden wants Congress to pass the bill this week before the Senate is bogged down with former President Donald Trump's impeachment trial. $90 billion in the bill will pay for a federal vaccination program as new, more transmissible variants are quickly spreading across the country. The surge that is likely to occur with this new variant from England is going to happen six to 14 weeks. We are going to see something like we have not seen yet in this country. With the vaccine supply still low, 
federal health officials are particularly concerned about these new variants surging in people over 65. They say while hospitalizations have leveled off, there is a hurricane coming. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. A man in the UK who raised millions for charity during the first wave of the pandemic has been hospitalized with COVID-19. Captain Sir Tom Moore gained global attention by walking 100 lengths of his garden before his 100th birthday last year. The Second World War veteran was even knighted by the Queen for his efforts. His daughter issued a statement saying over the past few weeks her father had been treated for pneumonia and he had tested positive for COVID-19 last week. He was taken to hospital to help with his breathing. He is not believed to be in intensive care. Across Russia today, tens of thousands of people protested, demanding the release of jailed opposition leader Alexei Navalny. A recent wave of nationwide demonstrations rattled the Kremlin and prompted a massive response. Activists say police detained more than 5,000 protesters, and that, they say, was just today. Another dramatic weekend here in Moscow where protesters by the thousands have come out, not just in this city, but across the entire country in support of the jailed opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, who's currently in a detention center awaiting a hearing on Tuesday. His supporters are out here again trying to make another statement that they have had enough and that they do not want to see this kind of treatment, not just of Alexei Navalny, but anyone. Uh, in the past 24 hours, in the past week, actually, we've seen a number of arrests, uh, all designed to try to discourage people from coming out here today. There is a very important difference between what we're seeing today and what we saw last weekend. This morning, Moscow police shut down, actually physically shut down access to a large part of the city center, closing metro stations, rerouting public bus lines, and actually barricading uh, all side streets leading into the area that the Russian opposition was hoping uh, that they would meet this morning. And since then, it has just been a day of chasing around the opposition. Every time they move, the authorities are waiting for them. So another heavy-handed day of protest response from the Russian authorities ahead of that very important court date for Mr. Navalny on Tuesday. For NBC News, I'm Matthew Bodner in Moscow. Millions of North Americans may be dreaming of sunnier weather, but not these two in D.C. More on that coming up right after Ravon's forecast. But first, residents in the U.S. Northeast are bracing for a whopper of a storm that could dump more than 30 centimeters of snow across the region later this week. The storm could create blizzard-like conditions and cause travel problems for the next few days. Parts of Virginia, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Washington, D.C. are already covered in snow and ice. At least 11 states are under weather alerts, affecting up to 100 million people. In anticipation of Groundhog Day this Tuesday, Albertans are looking forward to whether Balzac Billy will see his shadow or not. The Balzac Business Community Association says the tradition will continue for an 18th year in Alberta, but virtually this year. The Facebook live stream starts at 7 a.m. Pacific Time Tuesday. According to a centuries-old legend, if the groundhog sees its shadow, it will return to its burrow, indicating six more weeks of winter. If the groundhog doesn't retreat into hiding, spring will come early. 
Of course, the groundhog doesn't have any weather training, but Yvonne does, and she's here with our forecast. Hi, yeah, Yvonne. and I'm hoping the groundhog's going to be uh, predicting an early spring as well on Tuesday. Yes. So we'll see. Wyerton, Willie, there's a bunch of them that we'll have to check in on their forecast on Tuesday. Uh, it's been pretty soggy for us across the south coast. Metro Vancouver will continue to see some wet weather. We've actually got a number of systems that are going to push in across the south coast and a significant amount of snow if you're traveling along the mountain passes uh, for higher elevations as well as if you're along the Sea to Sky to Whistler. Six right now. Now we're tracking that rainfall to the airport. We've got an easterly wind at 7 kilometers per hour. Here's what we're seeing the moisture. It's in green. A few heavier pockets, especially towards the eastern end. And then in behind it, we've got lots of instability over the next few days. But there is going to be one bright spot in our long-range forecast. And I'll show you that in just a moment. But here's a quick glance. So as we get in towards this evening, overnight, it'll be rainfall, periods of rain. And we've got additional rain between 10 and up to 20 millimeters for most areas. And then hoping on Tuesday it should start to taper off into showers. Rainfall fall amounts. This is one of the forecasts that are showing anywhere between 10 up to 20 for most areas and then it should start to ease off to showers. A quick glance at some of the highways. This is what it looks like on the Sea to Sky to Whistler. Uh, the Coquihalla, we're seeing additional snowfall amounts and I've broken this down. These are the amounts for this evening. Your forecast for the highways, the Sea to Sky up to 5 centimeters, the Coquihalla, Rogers and Kootenay Pass 10 and up to 15 centimeters and then these are additional amounts for tomorrow for example along the Sea to Sky with another 10 and up to 15, 15 and 20 centimeters additionally for the Coquihalla, Rogers and Kootenay Pass all included within that. So do check in with drivebc.ca. We've got a couple of waves, but I did want to break this down just to show you that tomorrow we've got a still a significant amount of snow on the way. The northern half of the province, bit of a different weather picture, some sunshine in the mix. It'll still be very chilly for the northeastern corners. We've got a fair bit of cloud cover across the central interior with a few flurries. Most of the southern interior for tomorrow will start to see that snow level rising closer to 1300 meters. We may start to see it start off as snow and then that transition over to rain and it'll be rain for the Thompson Okanagan with those temperatures getting up to six as the high along the south coast. Have your rain gear handy. Umbrellas, it is going to be wet. We still have an additional uh, rainfall for tomorrow, 10 and up to 20 millimeters. And then on Tuesday, Jordan, that's where we leave it to Wyerton Willie. Hopefully <laughs> <laughs> that's Groundhog Day. It's felt like Groundhog Day, but that'll be Groundhog Day on Tuesday. And then hoping on Wednesday yes. we'll actually get into some breaks in between and on Friday as well. Fingers crossed. Yes. Thank you. Okay, favorite topics of Yvonne, weather, of course, and pandas. A pair of pandas in Washington, D.C. are making the most of the winter weather. Video from the National Zoo shows Mei Shong and Tian Tian enjoying the snowfall with a few rolls and slides down the hillside. Experts say a panda's thick woolly coat helps keep them warm in the cold. If you can't get enough of the bear's antics, the panda's antics, I should say, the National Zoo has a live panda cam in its exhibit. Loved ones are celebrating a birthday milestone this weekend for a very special lady in style. Happy birthday! Winita Savage marked her 100th birthday yesterday in Maple Ridge. Family and friends held a drive-by car parade with plenty of signs and balloons. Her family says due to COVID-19, they couldn't throw a big bash, but add that she's one cool lady and they miss being with her every day. Welcome back. Video games can often recreate real-life scenarios, and an Edmonton student is using that feature to help bartenders and servers in the campaign to prevent sexual violence. Morgan Black has the story. There are uncomfortable moments. A customer who's out of line, or one on a date gone wrong. What happens next? It's your move. You play the role of a bartender who kind of goes through a shift 
um, at this terrible bar where there's a lot of not so great things happening. Kenzie Gordon is studying how video games can be used to prevent sexual violence. The game It's Your Move is her latest creation. Although it's a video game and they're cartoon characters, it feels a little bit more realistic. Gordon recently won a University of Alberta Alumni Award for innovation. This game trains Edmonton servers and bartenders how to intervene in potentially dangerous situations. People don't feel comfortable applying their skills or they're worried about what's going to happen. Um, so this gives them like a really great opportunity to practice that before they get to that scenario. The player applies skills learned through in-person training at the Sexual Assault Centre of Edmonton. People really enjoy kind of having an opportunity to mix it up and try something a little more uh, fun and innovative. Characters in the game let the player know if they haven't made the right call. They can kind of make mistakes in a safe environment um, and see what the ramifications of those mistakes would be. Gordon says the nonprofit sector is starting to explore non-traditional forms of training. There's actually like just such a huge range of applications of video games in these settings right now. Creating a space where a critical choice can be played out before it happens. The really valuable thing that games provide, I think, is a jumping off point for conversations. Morgan Black, Global News. Canucks have the night off, but they're back tomorrow against the Habs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, their schedule has been relentless, but when you're winning, you, you want to keep playing. Yes. So the Canucks are certainly happy about that. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, the last time the Canucks played the Canadians, which was just eight days ago, Vancouver was scuffling, playing a disjointed game that had their fans pounding on the panic button. But when the Canucks go to Montreal tomorrow, they'll be riding a four-game win streak. It's been built on solid goaltending, sharper systems play, and offensive output from the top guys. None more so than Brock Besser, who finds himself at the top of the heap in goals scored in the NHL with eight after two more last night in their 4-1 win over the Winnipeg Jets. Lives the puck into the zone. There's the playoff front. Besser right in. Scores! You know, last year, I, I've said it a lot, it was a learning experience. I think I was in my head the most I've ever been in my head in my hockey career. And, you know, this year is a fresh start, and I just felt like I need to get back to my game, just not overthinking things, just playing off instinct. I'm not surprised. Uh, Brock is a guy that, first of all, he's smart. Uh, he wants to win. You know, I think this is just seeing a young player that's maturing over the years. Um, not shocked, because I thought we, he took a step in that area last year, even when he wasn't maybe scoring as much. NHL tonight, Connor McDavid and the Oilers taking on Ottawa. McDavid at the top of the scoring race, 17 points in 10 games. Eight seconds in, the German connection. Dry saddle, clean face-off win to Dominic Cahoon, beats Matt Murray, one nothing Oilers in a hurry. Then on the power play, McDavid to Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He feeds James Neal for the finish, 2 nothing. It's now 5-1 Oilers. McDavid and Dreisaitl three assists each as the Oilers are pounding the lowly sins. Islanders and Flyers. Travis Konechny back in the lineup after Alain Vigneault made him a healthy scratch last night. Second period, 1-1. Joel Farabee with the quick release. The youngster had a hat-trick tonight, the first of his career. He's only 20, their first-round pick back in 2018. But the Isles rally two third-period goals. Coquitlam's Matthew Barzell finishing off the Anders Lee feed. 3-3 on Barzell's fourth of the year. In overtime, though, Barzell in the penalty box for a high stick. Flyers power play Kevin Hayes from Claude Giroux. That's the winner. The Flyers beat the Isles 4-3.
The Australian Open begins a week from today in Melbourne. Better late than never. The tournament starting about three weeks later than usual due to COVID, but it's well worth the wait for Vancouver's Rebecca Marino. She will be in the main draw of a Grand Slam for the first time since the 2012 Aussie Open. Now at age 30, Marino's had a long and winding road back to the tennis court. But as Jay Janara tells us, it's a story of perseverance and courage. The Grand Slam is where we all want to be, right? Um, so for me to, to make it back after, um, after eight years is pretty exciting. And I'm just really um, happy to have this opportunity ahead of me. The last time Rebecca Marino slugged it out on tour as a full-time WTA player was 2013. At the time, she was battling two opponents, those on court who were returning forehands and backhands in front of her, and a debilitating opponent Rebecca lived with on a daily basis, depression. It forced a five-year sabbatical from the game she grew up loving since she was a child, but now Rebecca's back and more than ready to make up for lost time. I guess it is a lot more meaningful because um, it was sort of a, a conscious uh, decision to come back to tennis. So um, for me to know that um, that was the right decision, um, yeah, I suppose you could call it validation or, or some sort of uh, positive reinforcement. Prior to walking away from tennis, Rebecca's world ranking was as high as 38th in the world. In back-to-back -back years, Tennis Canada named Marino Female Player of the Year. She was becoming a dominant force in the game, but depression was taking its toll. So instead of collecting more on-court accolades, she enrolled in university and also started rowing, which is part of her mental health support system. It's interesting because I think back to that period of my life and I almost feel like I was a different person. So um, what I would tell other people is that, you know, um, that period of, of your life is um, is not forever. And if you do the right things to, to get yourself in a, a better mental state, um, whether it's just talking or, or um, other different uh, steps to, to take care of your mental health, it's, it's obviously very important. And I feel like uh, had I not done that, I wouldn't be in this position I am right now. Prior to not dropping a set in Aussie Open qualifying, Rebecca hadn't played competitively since 2019. She missed all of last year while recovering from a devastating foot injury. So to call her story inspirational is the ultimate understatement. I, I'm definitely really proud of myself. I, I think it has been quite... Uh, a challenge and a roller coaster through through life. And it's been really gratifying to, to have some form of success again. And we wish her all the best. NBA tonight, Raptors trying to bust a three-game losing skid taking on Orlando. That's Matt Calio of Edmonton, first ever Canadian to referee an NBA regular season game. Wraps off to a good start. Pascal Siakam, quick steps to the rim, lays it in. 27-15 Toronto after one. Getting physical, Aaron Gordon of the Magic with the body check on Kyle Lowry, who wasn't happy. Flagrant foul against Gordon. Then Lowry to the Canadian. Chris Boucher knocks down the three. He had nine first-half points, 58-44 wraps at the break. Third quarter, more from Siakam. Lowry finds Spicy P, who throws it down. Siakam with 21 through three, and even more Siakam in the fourth. Drives the basket and the foul. 30 points for Siakam as the Raptors route the magic, 115-102. 
In Innsbruck, Austria, final race of the four-man bobsleigh schedule. Season shortened to just four races due to COVID. Summerland's Justin Cripps piloting his Team Canada sled to a bronze medal. Cripps and his fellow BC boy Ryan Summer of White Rock finishing third overall in the series thanks to a second and a pair of thirds. The 11th career four-man podium result for Justin Cripps. Final round of the Farmers Insurance from Torrey Pines in San Diego. Co-leader Patrick Reed still feeling the wrath of that controversial plugged ball ruling from Saturday's round three when he picked his ball up before calling over a rules official. Ended up getting a free drop and made his par. PGA Tour said they were fine with how he handled it, but optically, another black mark on Reed's already shady image when it comes to the rules. And, of course, a lot of golf fans weighing in on the social media. But it's not affecting Reed, who seems to thrive on being the villain. Today knocks down an eagle at the sixth for the second consecutive day. Got it to 13-under. Victor Hovland trying to keep pace. Made his fourth birdie of the front to get to 12-under. But he faltered down the stretch. Finished tied second at minus nine. Reed cruised to a five-shot win. So really the controversial ruling had no effect on the outcome. Birdie's 18 to finish in style. His ninth career win. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin finished tied 18th at five-under. Roger Sloan tied 53rd at one-over. And we'll finish with some Premier League. Liverpool visiting West Ham today. West Ham in fifth, trying to run with the big boys, but too much Mo Salah today as uh, he was scoreless in six Premier League matches, but in the 57th, showing his quality, bending this one inside the far post, 1-0, and then Salah back for more 11 minutes later as he will deftly chip this one in to make it 2-0. Liverpool win it 3-1. They move to third. They're now just a point behind second place Man United. Both Spurs and Leicester. City lost today, which Liverpool fans will applaud for sure. Some Vancouver parents spent big on books for their children's school in an apparent nod to the wild week we saw on Wall Street. Pulp Fiction Books shared the news on social media saying very generous parents purchased $1,000 in books for the local elementary school library because Stonks Windfall AMC. It is a reference to struggling retailer GameStop and the drama that erupted on Wall Street this past week, Robinhood, the popular free trading app, restricted trading by armchair investors after Reddit users drove up the price of GameStop, causing hedge funds who bet against it to lose billions. Well, speaking of books, the weather perfect to curl up inside with a good book this week, Yvonne. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we do have some more rain on the way. We've actually got a number of systems, so a heads up. It'll come in waves. There'll be some heavier pockets. Uh, Tuesday on Groundhog Day, it should start to ease off to some showers, and then on Wednesday, some breaks. We'll wedge that just in between the next system that picks up. So it'll be on and off, a heads up, but tomorrow, mild one. Even temperatures should get up closer to 9 degrees. Good stuff. That is it for tonight's News Hour. Thanks for watching. We are all back at 11. Hope to see you then. Good night.